Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Let's get to this week's episode. Here's my co-host, Mike. Hey, everybody. Good morning. It's Mike Sherrick with Jason Hill. Hey, good morning. How you doing, man? This is Into the Gap. It's Saturday, February 1st. It's February already, man. I know, and no sunshine. Well, it's, for the second week in a row. It's February in Chicago, dude. There is no sunshine. Sunshine's not scheduled for another six weeks. I know. Tomorrow's Groundhog Day, though. I know. And the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it's sunshine in here. It's sunny in here, man. Exactly. You've got two <laughs> strong personalities. Exactly. With vitality in their bodies. Yep. Yeah. So. Having a, yeah, what an intense week, eh? I know. Dude, the thing like, like Kobe, do you have anything on that? Like, I, I, I wasn't, I'm not a basketball guy. Well, I'm not a basketball. I'm a soccer guy. I'm a tennis yeah. guy. But I was a Kobe guy. Were you? Yeah, because I think I, I think he represented resilience. Absolutely. I mean, the pain, the, the the way that he sort of really stuck through the games with the kind of pain that he had to endure was yeah. very impressive for me. Yeah, I mean, the guys won five championships. Yes, you know, with two different regimes. Yeah. So that impresses me. He's not a whiner, and and no, and, no, and, he's 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 a bad man. Yeah, what was a bad. man. Yeah, he had yeah. he had certain virtues of character that I admired, and you know after the whole thing with his wife and the affair, and <clears throat> they decided to stick it through and have two more children. Yeah, um, it's a, I, I, I was a Kobe guy. I'm not a big ba- big basketball fan. But, yeah, but I was a Kobe fan. I was um, I, I'm not a basketball fan at all. Like, yeah, I, I just you know I, I just just a sport that I never really got and I couldn't play it mm-hmm. and never got the thing of it. You know yeah. and. Uh, um, you know, I, I mean, when Michael and Larry and Magic were playing, I was kind of into it then. But, you know, you get busy, and I, did, I just didn't pay attention so much. But the thing that I really respected about Kobe and how he occurred for me was that he was a really good dad. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that I, you know, it's, um, and, and, he, and he cared about being a dad. And he, and he made it part of his life. And I think that's really the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the world lost a dad this week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, we, we, like we talked a couple of weeks ago, there's just not enough dads in the world. Yes. You know, yes. so I, it's a loss. It's tragic. And, you know, and like everything, we all marshal on. We all grow. We well, all it's grow. also a lesson to sort of, you know, as we talked about committing to life every day. Absolutely. And living your life to the fullest. And, and, and living your life to the fullest doesn't mean, you know, just living it for yourself, but also... Being a gift to the world. Yeah. And to others. Andrew just put up some Kobe. Here's Kobe with a, this is in early days of Kobe because it's number eight, doing a Michael. Oh, Boom. There he goes. There he goes. He's so ripped Michael off there. He's so elegant. <laughs> it's just like effortless. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was, I mean, it was tragic. And again, it, yeah, that, I think that's the other thing is how precious and how urgent life is. Mm-hmm. I think if there is a gift to take from this, it's really to get that live every day. And it seems like that's the way the dude rolled. You know, he just, yeah. he didn't take a lot of days off. So yeah. how's uh, everything in Jamaica, man? What's your reports from there? That was when I saw the 7.7 I know. earthquake. The first thing I thought of was, how's your mom? She was, she's doing well. And, and the country is very lucky because Haiti was destroyed. Yeah. With an earthquake of a lesser magnitude. Completely I know, destroyed. I know. That's, that's the first thing I thought when I saw it. You we know? were expecting a tsunami and all this other stuff. I thought, yes. Jamaica's gone. And Jamaica's been destroyed uh, with, uh, by two earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of a lesser magnitude, yeah. completely swallowed up. 
Yeah. I think the country was, you know, um, people like to sort of like diss on colonialism. My, my, my family, entire family, were anti-monarchists and fought against colonialism, so I'm not an advocate of it. <laughs> but if there's any good that yeah. came out of colonialism besides the fact that the British bequeathed to us a set of democratic judicial infrastructures, they built the country on concrete. Yeah. I mean, those houses are built of, st- and those buildings are steel and concrete. Dude, I just came back from a, a you know, a convention in construction with a lot of concrete dudes. I mean, it's, you know, there's something to be said about that. Yeah. That, that, that stuff's not going anywhere. It can withstand yeah. uh, a, a large onslaught of nature. Yeah. 7.7, Richter, that's what you got? Yeah. Thank you. Come again. <laughs> Come <you> again. Know? <laughs> you know? And uh, no casualties, no buildings that, were damaged. That's the part that remark. The no buildings Structural, damaged. a couple, little bit of structural I'm damage. I'm sure there was yeah, some. Yeah, some structural damage. The fact that there were zero casualties, nobody injured, nobody, nobody injured. That's nobody remarkable. That's remarkable. And no preparation in advance, of course. Of course not. Yeah. There's no, very seldom you have, like, yeah. unless you're in Los Angeles sometimes. Yes. You know, because they've got the technology down there. Yeah. yeah. No, that's remarkable. Mm. That's really remarkable. So, yeah. That's... Um, that's cool, man. I'm glad everyone's good. I'm glad Everybody's your family's well. well. Yeah, my yeah. friends, yeah. Everyone's good. Excellent. So that's cool. That's good because I wasn't going down to help. I was just just extract my mom. Yeah. I just sent a ticket and say, come out. Come but on I was here. not going out there <laughs> to re- to provide relief service. Yeah. Well, you were just out there too, weren't you? Yeah, I was there for Christmas. I was happy. I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to volunteer. You were out there for food in the beaches. Yes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That's as that's when I think of Jamaica. That's what I think of. I think of food and beaches and sunshine and eighty three degrees. Yes, I'm not going over there to de- to deliver food exactly. to earthquake victims. Yeah. I don't mean to sound harsh. I'm just you know hope your listeners get that this is tongue in <laughs> yeah. tongue in cheek. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Got to have some humor in the midst of tragedy. And uh, you got some uh, had a big event this week, huh? What's, oh yeah, I signed a new contract for a new book. Congratulations! Do you want to tell anybody about the book? Oh, I guess I could tell title of the book uh since it's it's called alpha in the white house the undeniable manhood and leadership of donald trump that's awesome and um you know i'm a conservative independent so i never i've never written about the president before i've never said anything bad about him i've never said anything good about him because i've considered myself um an independent who actually i've never voted for the republican party before that's what you said yeah yeah and i've never ever voted for voted for um gore and uh, Carrie, ugh, which I regret. <laughs> and uh, which and I, one, Gore or Carrie? Uh, both actually. Right. <laughs> and um, and I voted for Obama the first time, not the second time. I voted for Obama the first time with a clear conscience. I didn't vote for him the second time. I I've, I probably voted honestly. If I you look back at my history, I bet you I'm sixty five percent Democrat actually. Yeah. And then because I vote on the guys, I don't vote on the policy. Really, you vote on. I, see, I vote on strictly policy. Do you really? I'm yes. a strictly. This is why when people ask me, "What do you think about President Trump?" I said, "I don't think of him. Mm-hmm. I think about his policies." Yeah. I don't think about personalities. I never get. I'm such a cerebral, cold. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why guy. we're so different. You know. Yeah. And that's why I think this can work, is because we see the world, we see the same thing, but from completely different perspectives. Yes. You know, and I I vote almost a thousand percent on character. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't even pay attention to much of the... I mean, so someone like a Elizabeth Warren, who's a policy wonk, mm-hmm. right? That's all she talks about. I mean, she's X'd out anyway, mm-hmm. just because it's inconsistent with so many other things. But, I mean, that stuff doesn't resonate with me. You know? Right. Where Bernie, who I think is a whack job, at least is consistent 
with who he is and who he represents, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he's been consistent for a long time. And I get him. I don't like him. I don't. I'm not aligned with anything he's done. I'm. You know, we're not gonna. I mean, I wouldn't vote for him, mm-hmm. but I get him, and I get how he can be appealing. You know, but yeah, that's what I. You know, I look for. Yeah, I really look like you know the person who's running. Yeah. Well, likability has something to do with it. So I will, I will, I will evaluate somebody's policies, and mm-hmm. then if on a visceral level they, 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 they strike a chord with me, then yeah. it's a, it's it's fine. But if someone I really really like someone, mm-hmm. but I can't agree with their policies, and I'll give you an example. Back in the early days of George Bush, I had a man crush on George Bush. I just thought he was awesome. I used to have these dreams about him, <laughs> like daddy dreams, like Laura was killed in an accident. Condoleezza Rice was somewhere like ambushed by the Taliban. And it was just me and George. And I was like his personal advisor. Oh, and wow. I don't know, Laura was like, anytime she would appear in a dream, I would like nix her. I, but I couldn't vote for him. But I wow. loved him. I just thought wow. he was like this alpha male who protected us after 911. Yeah. And he would come on the television and I just like, put him on yeah. and because I just liked the guy. I we, thought he projected strength, but I didn't, at the time, I didn't like the way the war was being fought. Right. I thought it was being fought too altruistically. Right. Um, I thought his, his two-state approach to the Palestinian two-state thing was a bunch of bogus nonsense. Yeah. That, so his foreign policy really bothered me. Um, this is before he came into power, but I could sort of read what he, the platform he was running on and I decided I'm not going to vote for him. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's complicated with me because I, I can like someone and not like their policies and decide not to vote for them. I could never vote purely on policy and not like the person. So yeah. there has to be some kind of personal yeah. resonation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going on. I, I, here's my concern about policy. I, I, I've seen too many people change it too quickly and just not own it. So, you know, like that's what happened with Obama. Yeah. I mean, I thought Obama was cool. But he had these kind of policies, and they didn't stick to him, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, that's what politicians do. So that's why I don't put too much emphasis on it. Mm. I just, you know, I just look at, you know, is this somebody I can deal with? Well, so, maybe we have to look at it, and we can't really separate the two, because yeah. character con- character consistency yeah. says something about the extent to which you will consistently execute your policies over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. You know? So, Anyway, yeah, so it's been a good week. Well, congratulations on the book, man. I look forward to Thank it. Thank you. It's coming out in July. It's going to be like a summer, it's coming out in July? summer splash. Yeah. Right before the conventions. Yeah. You have to go up to Milwaukee and hawk some copies up there. Right? Yeah, I will. I'll be so. Hey, we're going to have to take a break in a little bit. But okay. when we come back, you know, we want to look at leadership. We also want to look at um, kind of what are some of the motivations. And some of it sometimes is fear. But uh, I also want to talk a little bit about my trip to Nashville because it was, it was incredibly eye-opening. Yeah. You know, plus I had an incredible Nashville hot chicken sandwich, which is just to die for. <laughs> and I got a funny story about that. So we'll be back in two minutes. This is Mike and Jason. This is Into the Gap. We'll be back. See you soon. Hey, we're back. This is Mike and Jason. This is Into the Gap. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, so yeah, man. Well, congr- again, congratulations on the book. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. You know, and... Uh, you know what I, I, the thing that I'm so impressed with is you've got this publisher that is willing to publish um, really the conservative perspective, which is not as kind of the mainstream way mm-hmm. you think. And it's not, it's not Foxian. I mean, I watched Fox News the other day yeah, and they had this woman on and she was given some, they were talking about the impeachment and she was given some legal thing about it, you know, and it went from there to showing pictures of her as a raiderette. Yes. A cheerleader. So, I mean, guys, come on. This is, no. this is, 
cut. Don't make it a joke. No. You know? No. They want something with, uh, you know, some, some, some intellectual heft. Yeah. Depth to it. Yeah. And it's going to be a f- book that's funny. I mean, it's, it, it's gonna, people are going to laugh, and they're, yeah. it's also quite serious. You know? yeah. So humor and, and intellectual depth go, can go hand in hand. And... So I want to sh- share a couple stories about my trip to Nashville. because yeah. it, was, it was amazing, okay? And at the top of it was my first experience with an authentic uh, Nashville hot chicken sandwich, right? Hot chicken sandwich. Hot chicken sandwich. You got to pronounce that carefully because it sounded like hot chick sandwich a while ago. Oh, hot chicken. Chicken listeners. Chicken. Chicken, Hot chicken sandwich. And, uh, (laughs) dude, it is like, you know, it was just delicious. And it was incredible. And it was like, it it, it was literally like a culinary orgasm. It was unbelievable, right? And um, so I I ended up going to my my favorite bar in Nashville's Legends Corner. They always got music. It's Mm -hmm. cool. They... I can get tall boy PBRs, you know, and I'm sitting at the bar and I, you know, it's lunchtime and I want to see if they got something to eat. And they said, well, we got pizza, which you, if you're listening out there, don't go to Nashville for pizza. It's not mm-hmm. the place to go. There's a thousand other places to get, do not get pizza in Nashville and nachos. So basically I don't have anything for lunch. So I go, is there a hot chicken sandwich place around here? And they're like, well, there's this and this and this. And they were all kind of far away. And I said, well, I, I went to Hattie B's and this girl goes, Hattie B's is garbage. I'm like, what? She goes, Hattie B's is garbage. There's all these other ones that are way better. And I'm like, I thought it was great. He goes, you don't know anything. You're ignorant. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, who sent you there? I said, the guy from the hotel. She goes, you got played. I'm like, what? She goes, you got played. That's a place they send to tourists for hot chicken sandwiches. He kept his own place to himself. And I'm sitting with a guy from Wisconsin. And that's what Wisconsin people do. There's people from Chicago when you're looking for a place to go to dinner up in Wisconsin. They'll send you to some horrible place you know to get authentic you know uh fish fry right Mm -hmm. and they keep the good places to themselves that's not christian what's going on so i was a little disappointed even though i love the sandwich i still do hattie b's was the bomb okay and next time i go there i'll have to find another one but but yeah so i was at this um it's called the national paving expo and it's it's really this collection of of independent paving and concrete companies you know you're talking about concrete earlier Primarily entrepreneurs, but there's some bigger companies there, you know. And I got to speak on leadership. And I was blown away by the reception, by the, the quantity of people, by the level of engagement, and by the desire to actually develop their own leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and what I saw, what I really came away with this incredible compassion for these guys who put their butts on the line every day because they're entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly is capitalism in the purest sense and their desire to really make a commitment to their customers to their workers to their um families and the forces that they're against Mm -hmm. that's going against them right the narratives about toxic masculinity or white supremacy or whatever the insult du jour is right and um and, and seeing the impact in these guys. I mean, some of these guys are scared to move. They're scared to fire people. They're scared to um, promote people. They're afraid that, you know, something's going to happen and the government's going to be up their keister suing them about something. Mm-hmm. And and I, I really laugh. Like, I was always kind of a champion for these guys, but I'm so clear that, you know, it is like I'm willing to go to – I'm willing to die for these guys now because mm-hmm. they're, they're really – these are like the backbone of what America's about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. these, these – because these are all relatively small businesses. They're from the smallest guy was like 
two million and the biggest one was like fifty million. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's I think in the way they measure it, that's a small business. At least, you know, up to twenty five million is still a small business yes. in, in sales. So it was fascinating to be with these guys and listen to them and their passion mm-hmm. and their drive and their commitment. And there's this whole array of experiences and and the other thing I was really moved by was how professional these guys were. Mm-hmm. You know, and the love they had for what they did. So I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. These are the people who, these are the, this is the, this is the quintessential spirit <clears throat> of the American identity. Yeah, absolutely. The people who are the, 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 the not the American intellectuals, not the professorate who just endlessly theorize and do nothing, but the people who have the can-do spirit, the, the fixers, the problem solvers. These guys are the builders. The builders. They're the builders, the, man. And they're the wealth creators of this country. Absolutely. And these, and there was an incredible amount of wealth in that room. Mm-hmm. Incredible amounts. I mean, every every owner is a multimillionaire. Yes, and they and you and should be and and should be and you wouldn't know it because they're driving a pickup truck. Yeah, and wearing blue jeans. Yes, and a baseball hat. Yes, and their business is worth over a million dollars, and and their net worth is well over a million. Yeah. You know, and um, and they are they're the creators of 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 they create spaces. You know, they build infrastructure. They're builders. You know, they they repair the right. things that aren't working. Right. I mean, they really are the unsung heroes that nobody knows. And they're not just builders and creators. What they are are creators of values. Absolutely. Because not because we have to realize that <clears throat> capitalism, in the proper sense of the word, or money, is nothing but the realized, tangible manifestation of a value yeah. that one has thought of in reality, in one's mind, yeah. and it's found a way of concretizing it in reality. They're value creators. They're absolutely. And you know where I saw that? One of, you know what one of their biggest concerns was? Mm-hmm. How do they get young people mm-hmm. to come into the business and then when they come into the business, actually be willing to learn and contribute and make a living? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can go to work inside a, you know, a paving company or concrete company or construction company as a laborer, and you could make sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Yet these young men and young women would rather go to Starbucks and make twelve fifty an hour, mm-hmm. right, and then be on the dole. And mm. th- this, the reason that was going that way was lost on them. So a huge amount of our conversations were really about what will it take? Who do they have to be mm-hmm. to bring these young people in? Because we could sit here and complain about the young people, yeah, right. I mean, they've got a narrative that's, be, as you pointed to many times, they've been indoctrinated into a certain way the world looks, which is inaccurate, first of all, you know. And second of all, it's hopeless. You know, they're going to be destined to, you know, some form of destitution or, or socialist takeover mm-hmm. is their only solution, right? When there's this huge opportunity, if there were a thousand millennials that would have attended this thing, I guarantee you most of them could have walked away with a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The need is that great. But it's going to take something. It's going to it's going to take their willingness to learn, and to grow, and to commit to something. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it was it was fascinating to see. And their commitment is there, but they're frustrated because they don't know how to get the message to them. Yeah, you know. So what we talked about is you know speaking to them so they can hear you. Yes. You yes. know, which is tough. Well, it's tough because they've also got to hijack a narrative that these millennials. Um, and I forgot to bring the statistics. Yeah. With me, but it's something like oh. Close to forty-two percent of millennials think that private property should be abolished; that they'd rather live under a socialist government. And the question is, have they not? Do they believe all these um, 
this bunch of malarkey because they haven't been taught anything differently? Or is it that they just don't want to know the truth? So these entrepreneurs really face a daunting task. And, yeah. the, and the task they face is divesting the millennials from these self-serving narratives that are being propped up by the far left. Well, I, I think one of the things is um, we, especially you and me, especially here, what we have to do is we have to provide an alternative narrative yeah. to the socialist narrative that's going on there. I mean, you, you've got your contract. I'm in the process of writing a book, and it's really about you know stepping up and, mm-hmm. and really communicating the reality of life as opposed to these goofy narratives that are out there and, and pointing to the impact and the danger and the destruction of what's gone up to, up to this point, and we actually have to turn. We've got to shift. We've got to, we've got to like, make a, make a change. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can do that is through, we can't demonize and villainize that alternative, the, the socialist agenda. It's, it's always been there. Mm-hmm. You know, what we have to do is we've failed in providing an alternative agenda yes. where people can come to. We've got to build something that's going to have people gravitate to us yeah. versus you know, argue with us, Right. you know, and the thing that I've seen that will have, will, that will change things quicker than ever. The evidence that needs to be there is the opportunity that someone can get a job, get paid and, and change their life for the good. Yeah. You know, live in a place that they want to live in, drive the kind of car they want to drive in, you know, be able to afford to start a family. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the things that, that people, and you don't think that way when you're 17, 18, 19. Yeah. You start thinking that way if you haven't around 30 or so. And then the challenge with that is like, oh, my God, did I waste my life up to this point? Right, no, you've right. got another 55 years. Don't worry about it. Right, right. <laughs> you're in good. You're all good. Let's get on board. Well, I think the demonization thing is good because I think what the yeah. what the conservatives have failed to do is they've failed to sit down properly. I do this with my students in my office. Mm-hmm. Properly sit down and say, okay, so you really want to back socialism? Yeah. Well, here's how your dreams of paying off your student loans, starting a, a small business by the time you're 30, starting a family by the time you're 35, is going to be hijacked yeah. by a socialist regime. Because yeah. here are the taxes, just here, here is, here's the infrastructures that are going yeah. to be in place under a socialist regime, which, is, which are going to hijack your capabilities, and I use the word capabilities, to enhance your life plans towards independence and sovereignty. Yeah. You're going to become a cog in a wheel. Yeah. And and what the what the conservatives have to do is to is instead of really of demonizing socialism is to just explain to students how your 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 richest plan for your life is going to be compromised. Yeah. And then show how capitalism provides a wonderful alternative. Yeah. What you're pointing to Jason is really <laughs> The role of leadership, which I think we've abdicated for a while. Yeah. So we're going to have to take a break in, you know, 30 seconds or so. But what I want to want to get into is really talking about what is the practice of leadership look like, mm-hmm. right? And really from, and also the practice of masculinity, because I think that goes hand in hand with leadership. Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 AM and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app. Tune in or wcgoradio.com. The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio.
If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeShrek at gmail.com. Dallas Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said, a coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision or you know there's another level you can go to, please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debrief, a $550 value free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on. Okay, back to the show now. Here's my co-host, Mike Schreck. Welcome back, everybody. Um, yeah, we're talking about the events of the week, and we're, we're getting really into, you know, what what does it mean to lead in this world that's ever changing and ever dynamic? And, and uh, you don't even know what the rules are anymore. I think. Yeah. I, I don't think there are. Are there rules anymore? Um, not rules that are caught. I mean, they're just sort of like these random arbitrary rules that people pick, but there are no rules that are really codified into a system. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That people can sort of like systematically and ritualistically apply under a metric to their lives. Yeah. There are these, and I see it in my students, they're like random rules that are floating around in the world that they just sort of, they, they pick them and they don't know, if you say, why are you picking that rule? Mm. They don't have a method of tying it to a larger rule that makes conceptual sense. You know, you know what you're talking about reminds me, so I, I told you I was a baseball umpire for 18 years. Mm-hmm. So for a couple of years, I tried to do basketball and um, like be a basketball referee. And what I saw, like I, I never played basketball that instinctually. And baseball is like second nature to me. But baseball never, I mean, basketball never got the, the flow of the game and the feel of the game. And so there's a rule book. But what I saw was the application of the rules were completely freelanced mm-hmm. by whoever was refereeing at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. So there was a recipe for disaster. It's chaotic. It's chaotic. So, you know, like traveling was called by one guy, but not by the other. You know, this is called by one guy and the other one's the other. One guy's a rule book wonk. The other guy's just let him play. Like, you didn't know what you're going into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it's a horrible analogy, but I kind of think that's what's going on. There, we say we think there's rules. Yeah. But so much of it has to do with who's like officiating the event at the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And thus we become incredibly polarized. Yeah. And we seek out, you know, who's going to be on our side. Yeah. You know, as opposed to. What are we really here for? Right. What are we really out to create? What are we really going to do here? Yes. You know, and and I think that's one of the reasons why I never like like I didn't like basketball because I just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. get um how the game was to be played. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and as I said that one of the things I think it's going on. You know, one of my big complaints with men and leaders is the abdication of leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that they overstep; it's that they don't. They just let things go. Right. I mean, and I think one of the reasons why we're seeing such a, a strong ascendance in the application of leadership among men is because people, 
part of what I think it means to be a leader is the capacity to set goals. Yeah. And rules really, among other things, rules are means, rules are not ends in themselves. Rules mm. are means to get strategically to the goal mm-hmm. that you've set. Well, they're, they're, they're kind of like guardrails or constraints, actually. Yes. You know, that allow for a pathway to be created. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Without the rules, you, you're, you're in a free fall. You can go anywhere. You can go anywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. It's so, and there's something about goal setting that requires responsibility. Yes. That requires accountability. That requires generating a set of uh, self-generated actions that rec- that in themselves fall back on a set of virtues of character yes. that need to be systematically and systemically put in place and consistently applied. And uh, those those qualifications, let's mm-hmm. call them, are just, they're not taught in school. No. I, I think one of the biggest attributes <clears throat> required for like powerful goal setting is courage. It's courage. Yeah. And what's so great about creating a goal, it's future-based. Yeah. And it's not guaranteed. Right. So you said it. I mean, it has to be generated. Yeah. You know, you're like, it's going to take something. Right. And you got to go engage. You got to get some on you. You know, you can't just sit back and think it's going to happen to you. The check is not going to be delivered in the mail just because you set a goal. Right. You know, you got to go make it happen. And if you, and if it doesn't, ha- if you're not succeeding towards your goal, you have to be told you're not succeeding. What yeah. we're having in like the school K through twelve system oh is like every single utterance that comes out of the mouth of a child, <laughs> every single sophomoric <laughs> high school opinion is elevated to the level of human knowledge. <laughs> and so absolute it's like, brilliance, right? Yeah. It's, oh, you're brilliant. That what you just said was so amazing. Oh. Well, no, what you said was just total garbage. Was the dumbest thing I've ever. I've ever dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so they come into my classroom. This is why. This is why the the, the Generation Z yeah. is having meltdowns in, in college classrooms because. Yeah. They come in, they've been told that every single thing that comes out of their mouth, yeah. and they're getting a prize for it, by the way. Well, yeah. Well, they-, they A self-esteem prize, right? They, well, exactly. I mean, they get seventh place trophies. Yes. And they fart rainbows. Right. Right? And sprinkles. Right. right? And life is beautiful. There's, right. They're, they're, it, it starts way before that, though, dude. I told you about the time that I'm in Home Depot, and there's like this five-year-old kid, and a mom's picking out paint, and he goes, Mom, I, mother- like whenever a little kid says mother, I get skeeved, right? Yeah. But well, mother, can we pick a color I'm comfortable with? He's right. like four years old. Four years old. Shut up. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, how can you set goals? Getting back to the question of yeah. leadership, how can you set goals if there are no clearly demarcated criteria yeah. for establishing objectively what are the procedures for getting to a goal? Right. You know, you take an athlete, mm-hmm. and if an athlete is running a triathlon, but at the same time wants to eat greasy burgers and fries <laughs> and work out that on, doesn't work. when she feels like working out, she's not going to get to the goal. She's, that's why she needs a coach yeah. that can haul her. Show, right? So we don't have a culture that's really conducive to yeah. the rules, the regulation, the, the rigidity, the, the accountability, the discipline that's required um, to train people to get to goals. So the leadership is just thrown out the door. You know, what I love that you just pointed out is what you were describing was actually the process that generates results. Yeah. You know, I think all too often our relationship to goals is we set goals and we do whatever it takes to get there and we don't, there's disregard to the process. Yeah. There's actually processes that can be developed. Yes. That once you understand them and systematize them, the results are almost guaranteed. Exactly. You know? Predictability to them. Yeah. And, and that becomes, that, that helps you install confidence and build and trust in yourself. Because I think the other thing that's missing too is trust. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. That's what I wrote in my book, my last book, We Have Overcome. I said, you know, an immigrant that the American people, I said, there's a formula for success in this yeah. country. Immigrants have, a lot of immigrants have disco- discovered it. Yeah. It's not, it's not just luck. I mean, some luck plays a role, but there's a reason why a lot of immigrants are successful here. We have discovered a formula for success mm-hmm. and we've applied it. Many immigrants group, immigrant groups have applied it. Do you know what luck is based on, dude? This is what I've learned. Luck is you keep showing up. You keep showing up. You know what? You fall down seven times, you get up eight. Yeah. And guess what happens? At eight time, you might get lucky. Is it luck or is it just pure persistence? Yeah. I'm not a big believer in luck. I'm a believer in you just keep going. You yeah. Learn where you're going and you become a mofo to get there. Or, as Oprah Winfrey was not my favorite person in the world, but she yeah. said preparedness meeting opportunity. Yeah. That's exactly it. She's right. And showing up. And showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Knocking on the door. Yeah. You know, being there. Being that guy. You need somebody? I'm here. Yeah. And so much of that doesn't go on today. No. You know, I mean, if you find a 17 or 18 year old specialized in something, you know, you're 10 years advanced from peeing your pants. Mm -hmm. You know, come on. You know? Yeah. And you may be skillful. You may be brilliant. But drink it in. Mm -hmm. Learn. Learn Mm -hmm. who you are. Mm -hmm. Get who you are. Mm -hmm. Get some on you. Mm -hmm. Enjoy life. The, The other thing too, Mike, is about this leadership thing about why leadership is sort of like, in decline is that traditionally, you know, when you look at the history of leaderships, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's something noble for mo- not all persons need an apprentice mm-hmm. or a mentor, mm-hmm. but there has been something uh, that's been that's been appreciated about affixing oneself to a mentor mm-hmm. and to an apprentice, being an apprentice to a mentor. And today, when everyone's opinion is equivalent to everyone's opinion yeah. and everyone's viewpoint and everyone's skill set right. is the equivalent to everyone's skill set, the whole notion of mentorship and building an aspirational identity that can approximate the master, yeah. that in and of itself is seen as you know, oppressive, imperialistic, demeaning. demeaning. Yeah, I you know. know? I, you know what? I didn't even think about that. When I was when I was growing up, right when I I worked for a big company yeah. and I, it was a it was there seven years and it was one of the remarkable periods of my life. I had seven different mentors. See, and That's you know what, what I'm was, talking about. You know what was interesting about mentors? The mentee does not choose the mentor. That's right. The mentor chooses the mentee because you're not qualified. Huh? The mentee is not qualified. No, you have no idea. You have no idea. And then you get called for, and I got called for by seven guys. I was. I was simultaneously being mentored by no fewer than three or four guys at any one time. That's right. It was brutal. It should be brutal. It was brutal. It has to be. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and they all had, like, something. I must have been a real mess because these guys were, were on me. And then you know what, though? I was actually put into this, like, fast-track leadership thing where I was actually a candidate one time mm-hmm. to be the CEO of that organization. And I got to this thing where the CEO way in the future, like, mm-hmm. be part of the class that would be selected from but the company we actually I, I told you we lost our our uh, ceo tragically yes you know who was one of the mentors that i had a remarkable guy but he died suddenly of a heart attack at 70 years old mm. completely unexpected you know and it was it was it was it was like my first experience of loss of someone i cared about and really respected and knew mm-hmm. you know and it was like holy cow this is weird you know um but yeah, because he was—he wasn't like a granddad or a dad. He was just this, this older guy who I really respected. But, but yeah, but that was just the, the 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 stuff I learned, and I learned something different from each one of these seven guys. Yes. And there was a level of dignity. 
Yes. Like I learned how to tie a tie from them. I learned yes. how to buy a suit. Yes. yes. You know, I mean, it was, it was remarkable what they told me and what they taught me and, and, and also how much they cared. They didn't get paid anything extra for exactly. this, you know? So I think that's really a big point is we need to create that. And what are we doing today? We're ceding moral power and authority yeah. to children, the Greta Thunberg. Oh, I know. To chill. This is dangerous. And, and then we put them up on a pedestal. Yes. Like, yes. My God. Which is not to say we can't learn from, no. from we learn a great deal about, about many things from, from watching how children, and I use the term because at 16 mm-hmm. or 15, you're, you're an adolescent. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 I've, I've learned a lot of things from my students. Well, you know, it's interesting. But I'm not going to cede moral authority to them. We're going to have to take a break in a bit. But one of the reasons that I got selected by these guys was I had a particular skill mm-hmm. that they were really interested in, mm-hmm. you know? And they wanted to understand how I saw things so they could see things differently. Yes. So there was a give and a take to it. Reciprocity. I, I never yes. even saw it till now. Yes. So, yeah, it was fascinating. Yes, and, uh, and what didn't make sense is they thought I was a wild man too. Right. So how I could I, how could I do this thing in a corporate environment, make it work, and be crazy as hell? And the good thing about the mentor <laughs> is that he wants his mentee to eventually pass him or her out. I don't know about that. You, if you're a good, strong mentor, yeah. you want, and you know yeah. you're not going to last forever. Yeah. You want your mentee to be yeah. your the 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 legacy of your best work. Yeah. Maybe not pass you while you're living. We'll come back and talk about that because I've had a couple different experiences on that. But anyway, we're talking about mentors and off mic or, or off the show. Uh, I was sharing with Jason. I had a I had a mentor that actually took me out. You know, kind of an etu brute thing. You know, <laughs> and I was I was probably only about six years older than him, and mm-hmm. he was incredibly ambitious and really talented guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was probably running. You know, in retrospect, some of the things you pointed at me, I was running a pretty loose ship. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I, I, uh, I created the opportunity that if someone close to me wanted to take me out, if I was in someone's way, mm-hmm. they had all the reason and probably right in the world. Cause there were things, I mean, there were corrupt activities I was involved in. Like, and when I mean corrupt, like I, I wasn't living consistently with my role, mm-hmm. you know, like I was probably partying a little too much. Mm-hmm probably a little loose with certain things, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just basic immaturity. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in my late thirties, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it was, I did, you know, now I'm feeling like, like really dumb. I didn't take the responsibility of mentorship at the level that the guys who mentored me at. Yes. That, that's ultimately what it was. So yes. thanks for that. I just yes. worked that out. Yeah. Cause um, remember that mentorship also re- re- involves the process of, Partially re-socializing the sensibilities yeah. of your mentees. Yeah. You're remolding them in an image or a vision of what you really think they ought to be. Yeah. And While at the same time being respectful of their uniqueness. It's a it's a it's a yeah. it's a it's a it's a really strange thing because yeah, it is. it's like you're sculpting an artwork. Yeah. You have a vision of what this person should be based on dispositions and characteristics that he or she has. Um, just like a, a, an artist has to work with clay or with bronze yeah. you can't turn the bronze into clay he has to work with what he has but he has a vision of what it should be yeah and the mentee has to be susceptible to that receptive to it you know one of the things i'm getting from this is is not only that there was that part but there's also the part of the 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 jonah compl- is that the jonas jonas syndrome yeah. jonas syndrome right where i did not fully own the level which I was operating at, right? Mm-hmm. I, I actually 
created some mediocrity as opposed to actually owning the exceptionalism that we were operating at. You mm. know, like we had a highly functioning teams. We were delivering incredible results. We were making it happen. And I still wanted to be that party dude, mm-hmm. right? I, 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 I reveled in the rebel mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still pretty young, mm-hmm. but there was, I was being called to step into a level of operating, you know, a level of consciousness, a level of responsibility that I was kind of pushing back on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'd like to hear you go more into that. Cause well, I think, I think one of the things about, and Jonah, I never thought of it that way. The Jonah, yeah. Well, the thing is that you were still operating in the same kind of vortex, on the same kind of domain, in the same kind of domain as your mentee, and you have to you have to be able to transcend that. Yeah. Because you have to inspire in your mentee. You have to give him or her an aspirational identity, something to look up to. Yeah. Not something to look down on, or right. not something to look to meet eye to eye. The mentee has to look up and, and be almost like a hero worshiper, which is something that's destroyed in our culture. For yeah. Example. The whole thing of hero worship and looking up, and to do that, you have to embody in your character. You have to be morally ambitious, and you have, I think you have to embody in your character yeah. virtues of excellence. Yes, that can be emulated and be worthy of emulation. And yeah. I think this is why a lot of people avoid the superlative in their character, avoid aspiring to greatness, because it requires responsibility and it requires generating a series of actions executed on your behalf. Yeah. To keep that greatness, to keep that superlative level of, of vitality and and, 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 and and intensity in oneself alive. And I think and the, mediocrity is just yeah. easier because it's no. it's it it's the it's the natural disposition of most people. Most you know, most people are a lot of I don't say most a lot of people feel comfortable being social ballast. Yeah. No, I know. And and, and what you're what you're talking about though, what I'm seeing is there has to be, when you're raising yourself up that level, right, mm-hmm. there has to be a level of authenticity. It can't be pretense. It can't be arrogance. No. It's got to be an authentic expression of who you are. So that actually creates a sense of responsibility, engagement, and you gotta, you got to step it up. Mm-hmm. you got to own that. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't phone that in and pretend. Mm-hmm. you got to walk the talk. Mm-hmm. So it actually is a way to drive yourself forward. Mm-hmm which is really inspiring mm-hmm. and that willingness to be mediocre because it's easy mm-hmm. along with the constant narrative of that's pushing everything towards sameness and mediocrity to begin with right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the the equality thing mm-hmm. and all of this other garbage that's in the, the space all the time and in our social construct that's against exceptionalism yeah you know you know I this so one of the things I'm getting from this conversation, Jason, was so important is that I've been looking at what's been at the source of the abdication of leadership. Egalitarianism. Yeah. And this is really what it is. This 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 thing also, I think that when you're a leader and you are mentoring, you have to be able to cut the mentee off if he or she is exhibiting nefarious uh, or, or is on a trajectory towards self-destruction. Yeah. Not every, I'm sorry. Not everybody can get let into the future. Yeah. We have this very liberal egalitarian idea that everybody is going to get led into the future. Yeah. And that's just not the case. It's a very Darwinian idea I'm espousing. But some people are going to get led out of the future. Yeah. yeah. And of and well, the, we can put it a different way. Like it takes something to get into the future. Yes. There's no, 
Because what you're pointing to is really this belief of entitlement. Yes. Like, because I went to school, because I did this, because I did this, I deserve this. Yes. And that's the very mentality that we were talking two segments ago mm-hmm. that these guys are frustrated with. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's what they're frustrated with. That there's an unwillingness to do what it takes to gain the skill set so that you can step into a position where you are worthy of earning mm-hmm. 60, 70, 80, 120, 150. I mean, there's guys that are making a half a million bucks a year mm-hmm. in construction. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're not going to make that at Starbucks. Yeah. You know, you're not going to make it at a media company if you don't own it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, yeah, that's the thing. There's like, it takes something to get rewarded. There's cause and effect. Yeah. Yeah. So besides being a creator Mm -hmm. and inspiring creativity in other people through his or her just magnanimity and energy. I think being a leader also requires a, a destructive element also to 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 weed out mm-hmm. um, from the garden the things that are inimical to creativity yeah. and and we 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 live in a culture that says everybody deserves a chance, which is true, yeah, but then if you're also mediocre and you're also counterproductive, it is highly illiberal and oppressive and discriminatory and unfair mm-hmm. to kick you out of the garden right well, that gets into. The whole thing that Jordan Peterson talks about, equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome. Yeah. Right? So I am willing to give anybody an opportunity. Yes. And if you don't cut it, you yeah. don't make the team. You don't make the team. It's that simple. Yes. You know? And one of the guys who didn't make the team and came back and, dis- and demonstrated incredible perseverance and character and success, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. did not make his high school basketball team his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, we started with, Kobe and when we're going to end with Michael Jordan. So we kind of completed a basketball thing here, but, but that's really it. You know, if, if Michael Jordan was a Gen Z guy today, yes. he didn't make the, the basketball team his freshman year. We would have never had Michael Jordan. Right. We would have gone and done something else. Right. Amazing. So anyway, we're done, dude. We're done. We got like 30 more seconds. Well, what do you want to close with? Anything? Any words of wisdom? You're the philosopher. I'm just a dude. Uh, I could drive just, a bulldozer. Just the, you know, <laughs> I, the manly virtues, grit, tenacity, courage, resilience, yeah. persistence. These need to be reinforced in our culture. Get off, get off the victimology bandwagon. You're not a victim, most of you. And uh, That's what we're here to do, man. Man it up. Man it up, dude. Yes. All right. It's great being with you, man. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Mike and Jason. This is Into the Gap. We'll be back next week. Talk to you later. Bye.